So the likelihood of uh, living beyond 100 is a massive reality. And we see this more and more every day. We all know people celebrating their 100th birthday or getting way into their 90s. And uh, a lot of them are working right up until the end. And uh, so things are really changing as far as that's concerned. It's not only the celebrities we see on TV and in movies that we know are getting this old. Uh, just normal everyday people are celebrating their 100th birthday and beyond. So really becoming something that we need to consider from a retirement uh, point of view. And uh, I guess the big question is, are you and your money going to last as long? That's what we're going to get into in today's episode. This is Propulsion, the podcast for forward-thinking and driven and ambitious financial planning professionals. It is the catalyst to the exponential growth of your financial planning practice, your business, or your franchise. Uh, This is where professionals come in order to learn about the latest technology, to learn about best practice when it comes to running and managing their business, as well as marketing, sales, relationship building, the best and most valuable interviews with local and international guests, and a whole host of other things. Without any further ado, here is your host, François de Toy. Hi, morning François, morning to all the participants this morning. Good stuff. Welcome, welcome. Very nice to see you. And uh, yeah, yeah, like people were talking before the show a little bit about, oh, is it gold? Is it not gold? And then for us from the free state, this is not gold. <laughs> so I don't know. Where do you find yourself, Anand? Um, I was interested here in, in Joburg. The sun is really up and it's nice and bright. In Cape Town, it's starting to get nice and bright, but it's a cool and crisp uh, morning. But oh, Saturday nice. and Sunday looks like nice and bright. So we're going out surfing with the kids over the weekend. Oh, wow. That sounds amazing. As I said, warm, warm welcome. Really excited to be chatting to you today. Um, there's, there's a couple of things I want to get into, but um, just maybe briefly before we get into it, just a brief like intro on uh, who you are, where you work, and, and what you mainly do on a daily basis uh, before we get into the discussion. Okay. Thanks, Francois. Um, so I work for GMI Investments. That's Gradich Mahuri Investments. Um, older colleagues of mine from Old Mutual that started a wealth management business about 14 years back. And that's uh, part of my shift out of the corporate career. So I spent most of my career sort of 20 life or 20 years in the corporate side. And then uh, Craig and Kachisa has been chatting to me for a while to joining and setting up a Cape Town office. Um, so I oversee the Cape Town office. I do wealth planning in Cape Town. So my primary priorities is uh, wealth and retirement planning. Like cool stuff. And um, I mean, there's no better place, I assume, to do it than in Cape Town. So uh, really blessed to, to be able to do that. Um, let's talk a little bit about your, your journey. Uh, I mean, interesting. I did not know that you were with Old Mutual specifically. I know you were in corporate, but I didn't know like which corporate. So, so keen to sort of um, just, I mean, how did you get into the industry? That's always the interesting part for me to find out. Like, how did it happen that Vainant got into financial planning? Um, the, the, that's quite an interesting question, France, where, you know, it's one of those things that kind of happened more by chance than by, by intent, if anything else. Um, so after I finished my studies, um, I ended up doing a few things. I sold anything from advertising to industrial printers over the telephone. So if you want a tough sales job, try and selling industrial printers over the telephone. Um, and my uncle was actually in financial planning. Um, so he ended up a region up in uh, sort of northwest as we know it now. And he always kind of knocked my door and saying, listen, Vanant, I think you need to try financial planning. Um, I went for an interview and I think uh, the guy might have been a bit intimidated and he sent me as far off as he can. So he sent me from Joburg all the way up to Poch and Clarkstorp. 
I sort of said to myself and Poch, listen, great, but I'm going to be there for a year. Um, after a year, they kind of moved me to Clarkstorp to, to start um, sort of grinding at the edges. And I kind of said to myself, I'll be there for a year. And I ended up sort of two years later back in Joburg, you know, uh, particularly on the investment side, which was my, my sort of area of focus and passion. And I finished that time. I, I don't think many people online have uh, done ILPA. Um, so in 2000, I finished my ILPA. So bright and early on and obviously sort of uh, continued from there. Nice. Uh, and I mean, like, it's always like also interesting because a lot of people start off, you start off and you are taught the product, you know, that's sort of the baseline where, where most people would start. Um, and then I forgot it right. It took you about 10 years before you did your ILPA. Um, like what, what got you to do that? Like what led you to that decision? Like, was there some insight of realization or something that happened and that you went like, you know what, like I've, I've got to go do this. Like, like what got you to that point? Um, I, I think it must have been the interest into the industry itself. You, you know, so as I started, you know, so I sort of landed in the industry by chance. Um, but then from very early on, I had quite a bit of a passion, particularly for the investment side. Um, at the time I was doing ILPA, I was still doing other studies as well. So it's kind of doing two courses at the time. Um, but I think probably an early realization of the importance of in the in, um, and wanting to find out more. You know, so that's kind of what led me to to the open after that advanced CFP and a few other things um, is wanting to understand. And, and oddly, I think, you know, after 25 years or so in corporate, um, when I moved into um, uh, practicing into wealth planning, th that also led me to the book eventually. You know, after being 25 years on the opposite side of advisors, um, I, I again looked for an opportunity to deepen my understanding and deepen my insight. And, and there's probably no better than putting pen to paper and putting your thoughts on it. Um, so, so that was also part of a process in getting into writing writing something. Yeah. And uh, then, I mean, after a good career at in, in, in corporate, like what got you out of that? Like, you know, what was what, what drove the decision apart from people, obviously, because everything in this industry, it seems like people bug you, bug you until you either get in or you move or like, you know, there's, there's something, usually there's people involved. Um, I, by the way, was lured into the financial planning services with a company called a cell phone and an entertainment allowance. So that's how I ended up here as a broker consultant. But, um, you know, like I never, ever thought that I would I would work here. Um, and then, I mean, there's been a whole host of things that happened since then. And uh, I mean, what was it for you to get you out of corporate? Like, why did you make that move? Um, it, it's one of those things. It's always been my intent to move into the financial planning space. And eventually I started saying to myself in the story of a life 200, you know, what is, what is your next chapter look like? And uh, getting close to turning 50, I said, um, you know, if I do want to make a change into the um, practicing side of, you know, it's probably due time. You know, it's 15, 15 plus years left. Um, and part of my journey, and I think it's part of that, as we say to our clients, you've got to think and plan for your own journey. You know, so I personally don't see myself like many examples I have in the book. I, I can't see myself sitting down at 65. And the reality is in a corporate life, you're not going to be continuing to working after 65. Um, so part of my planning was always to say, listen, if I if I do want to fulfill my own aspirations and, and my my life chapters, how do I best do that? And a part of that was the journey to then move from corporate into financial planning, wealth management. And a part of that planning is also my journey to say, you know, what, what does the next chapter look like? What does the chapter look like after 65? 
and, and certainly after 65, I see myself continuing doing stuff, you know, um, servicing my clients, maybe not from here, maybe fr from a little quiet place up the West Coast. So, so that part's really sorted as part of the journey. Um, so it was part of a plan and a chapter. Nice. And, and I mean, and was I, it a bit? And I had the, say again. Sorry, and I had the, the, the great opportunity um, to work with uh, Kachis and Craig, which I've known for many years, and they've been they've been wanting to get the Cape Town office um, up and running. Yeah, awesome. Um, and then, I mean, was it a big adjustment for you moving out of that space into the into the independent space and and sort of you know setting up the office and having to run all of that? Like, has it been a big adjustment? And and how did you manage to adjust? Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think it, it it is a very big adjustment going from a corporate to a very small wealth planning growing business. Um, and most importantly, and part of that's probably, again, having a plan as to how that first six or 12 months look like. So I think it would have been really difficult to set up something myself. And that's probably part of the journey why I joined people with which are like-minded mindset. Um with a existing um, practice and plan. And, and the first kind of 12 to 24 months were really difficult, you know, to get everything set up and going. Um, but as part of the strategy and the plan after that, we started um, building regular networks, regular pipelines, um, and it really, really started um, going from there. So I think the transition is difficult. What makes it easier is either if you're doing it yourself to have a very clear plan as to how you're going to do it, or if you're joining people of like-minded attitudes, um, you know, to have a plan and strategy for the first one to two years to how to get up and how to, how to build and grow. Yeah, and it's just that perseverance, right? And I think if you have that clear plan and vision, then then it does make it easier. It's just you just need to do what you need to do every single day and focus on the right things. I think that that that's quite important. Um, is there something that stands out as having been a big challenge in this regard or – like, you know, has it been plain sailing up until now? I think the challenges are probably always twofold. Um, one of the key challenges is always people and, and getting the right people on board. You, you know, so part of building the Cape Town office was also getting getting the right people to start building and growing. And, and I think most people find that always difficult, you know, and it's... Um, you can do as many interviews and referrals as, as you wish, but eventually there is a bit of trial and error. Um, so again, the people side right is is always a challenge. And I don't think there's any magic wand for that. Even if you if you do everything right, there's a bit of trial and error. Um, I do think one of the key learnings to that side is if you know it's not going to work is to um, act as soon as possible, you know, rather than waiting. So, so I think that's important. Um, and I think the other key and big learnings is understanding the markets you're operating in, understanding your own strengths, and then adapting your strategy to work towards that. You know, so you've got to work in the areas that you're passionate about. Um, and if there's other areas in the business that other people are more passionate about, you know, to get the right people focusing in the right areas, and then they particularly client target markets. You know, so you've got to work in a market that firstly you're passionate about and that you enjoy. Um, and if if there's areas that other people are passionate about, you know, let them focus on that and let, let, let them grow those areas. Yeah. Um, so 
you alluded a little bit earlier to the fact that that you've got a plan for you know going to 100 and you're not planning to stop at 65 and you may want to make some lifestyle changes but definitely not stopping um is is that was that the catalyst for you to to write this book um because like you know i think many of us do want to write a book and we just never get there um so i'll get into the process of writing the book and what that was like but i mean what got you to write a book on 200 and beyond um, because I, th- I think it's a brilliant title. I love the cover of the book. Um, it's really amazing. The two, two, two sort of pulls on there. Uh, the one's just a pull. The other one's got Great. money in it. Like, and other, are you going to last? You know, like it's it's amazing. No. So, how did you get to that? Yeah. Um, so, so it was also always part of my plan when I when I joined, um, and I think that's part of the intent. You know, having an intent and a strategy. So the strategy was always twofold, you know, to leverage the strength of the GMI brand and to build um, relationships from there. And the second one is in GMI, we do a lot of media work. And, and it probably does two things. Um, it, it doesn't always, I think people sometimes think it just generates business and you just get leads. That's a part of it. But I think the more important part is it does build your profile and brand. So from starting on early, um, I did write regular articles, got it out to the media, um, and, and got some decent coverage from that. So, so that was the start of starting to write. And importantly, particularly if you're working up in the high net with affluent space, I can see when I get to clients, they've done their research. You know, they've been on the web, they've read an article, um, and already you've got some credibility even before before the, the conversation starts. So that definitely works. The intent to write a book is, is maybe a bit of in the family. So the whole family is the media side. My, my dad used to be in the media all his life. My brother's in the media. Um, he's actually teaching um, in, in university on, on media and evolution in media. So, so there's maybe a bit of writing blood in the media, of a bit of writing blood in the family. Not everybody everybody has that, but um, it's a bit of a passion to write. Um, I also, they never, you never get the chance. So again, maybe a bit of luck. Um, when COVID hard lockdown hit, we went to a little space in, in, in the West Coast and uh, the, the kids were chased off the beach by the police. So you couldn't do anything. I took the dining room table. I've set it up in a, in a bedroom um, and I physically started writing the chapters. You know, I sort of listed and saying um, what I think it looks like. Um, and I started writing and, and, and finished it basically in that time of lockdown. And, and, and the topic may be back to your question. It, it's always been an area of interest. Um, is the fact that people are living longer you know so even in my presentations before that we regularly do presentations um it, it's something very real that on a daily basis basis we're seeing people are living longer and i think it's still an underestimated reality that people are not getting to grips with M- most people don't believe it but if you look at what's happening around you both the hard data and the um just evidence you know it's reality so so, so that kind of triggered me to to focus on on 200. Yeah, and um, let, let's get a little bit into the book. Um, the book is uh, available at the moment. Um, I mean, it's been launched a, a while back, and uh, we'll get to where people can get hold of it. But I want to sort of hear from you. I've I've made a few notes that that I want to talk about specifically. But um, from your point of view, what are some of the key messages uh, in the book? Like, when, what were some of the key things that you felt like I have to get this across because it's absolutely crucial? Like, like what are some of those? Mm. Um, the the key initial part is probably just helping people understand the reality that that longevity is increasing. You know, so if you look at the data and if you look at the numbers, you know, 1950 people lived up to 45 was the life expectancy. 
if you look kind of 70 years later, you know, life expectancy increased to 65. So over a period of 70 years, um, life expectancy has increased by almost 25 years. So I think that starts to just raise the point to people and saying there's a massive shift in longevity and have I thought about this. Then I'll also provide some practical examples just in saying if you're a male, female, how, how long are you expected to live? And if you're a couple, it sort of brings the point home and saying most people are going to live up to 90 or so. So there's lots of data reinforcing the point and saying people are living longer and I bring that across in different ways. And also very practically, practical and Etna from Star Trek, you know, going to space at the age of 90. Um, uh, people in this audience, probably everybody knows uh, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. Now, Buffett is early 90, Munger's late 90, and they run one of the biggest companies in the world. You know, so if you think about it, these guys can retire. They've got all the means to retire. So it's also not about the point in saying people have to work longer. There's a big group of people. Sir, Sir David Attenborough, you know, he's also in his 90s. He's also said, listen, he's not going to stop working. So I think the first point I wanted to bring home is saying, reality, you are probably going to live longer than you think, and there's a massive increase in longevity. Every 10 years, life expectancy increases by 3.5 3 years. So you need to think about longevity is the first point. Um, then the second part of the book, um, the, the key message is think about your life chapters. You know, so I spoke earlier about mine, but I think that's probably the key message in the book is saying, if you think about life in a traditional way, it's no longer about the point in saying retirement's a line in the sand. At 65, you start retiring. It's about saying, what are the chapters after 65? And once the client, their spouse, partner, family starts thinking about life after 65, and what do those chapters look like? You can then start thinking about what a plan looks like for after 65. Because it's very different developing a plan in the old view of saying you're retired 65, you need income for 30, 30 years or 20 years, versus you're retired 65, you're going to live longer, and you're doing different stuff in different chapters. You know, the first chapter might be continuing to work, continue to do other stuff. That's a very different plan to somebody that intends to stop working. So a big part is you're living longer. 65 is not a line in the sand retirements we know it. What do the chapters look like after 65? Once we've got an understanding of those chapters, we can then as plan, planners develop a better plan to support that. And just interesting back to Sir David Attenborough, like it was interesting to say, like he's, he, I think he said, like if you, if I was doing a specific job, like the shuffling coal or something like that, then yeah. I, I would stop at sixty-five. But I get to travel the world, experience like why would I want to stop, basically? And and so, so I think that does lead to like you have to be intentional also with what you're busy with, right? So I think there are some people who can't wait to stop because they really mm. don't like what they're doing. But that does that mean when I get to 65 that now I don't have any options anymore? Like now that's it. You know, I chose for 40 years to do this yeah. one thing that I really didn't like, but it paid the bills, got my kids through university, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm. And then they, they, they can't see that they have another chance or another career in them at 65. Like, do you have any of those kind of conversations with people? Yeah, I think, and I think the point you make, Francois, was very important. Is it's back to that point, which we know is, you know, there's no single answer for everybody. You know, so I've got a combination of people with different life chapters, you know. So just thinking back about a meeting yesterday, it was with a retiree sitting just before retirement, and her scenario is yours. 
you know, it's the one you just mentioned. It's kind of someone who's does, done something for the last 30 years, but she clearly realizes that after a time and she, she's forced to do something else. So in her scenario, it's about developing the, the other skills, the other things, and she's got many potential other plans we can work on, but that's her position's more forced by um, not being in the financial position to do it versus other people, many clients who at 65 away before have a different view and just saying, I, I don't want to stop. You know, either I'm going to continue doing stuff in my current field of work, um, consulting um, or doing something similar to what I have done or doing something completely different in a different field of work. So, so yes, I, I think most importantly, there's no one answer. Some people continue because they have to, and it's important to assist and guide them or with the other strategies one can. Um, but increasingly, people I deal with in the retirement space, many of them want to continue doing some stuff, you know, be it on a more permanent or less permanent basis. Um, but it's because they just don't want to stop at 65. You know, <laughs> what do you do for the next 20 to 30 years if you start thinking about that? You know, can you really retire for 25 or 30 years? Many, many people are in that space. And what do I do for that next 20, 25, 30 years? And I think there's, there's loads of people that would... They had this plan and then they get there and then they retire and then two months later, that's not what they thought retirement is and they would rather go and start doing something again as well. Um, I think if you've been busy and, and you're driven by certain things like that, never goes away because I mean, I'm turning 47 this month and it feels to me like, you know, I still feel like I, like I did when I was in matric. So, so there's no difference on the inside. The, the outside is a different story to tell, yeah. but, but the rest of it is, you know, like, and I, and I think once you get there, I don't know if the expectation is that you'll feel old and you'll feel, you know, sort of tired and stuff. But I think when you get there, you realize it's nothing different from the day before, before you retired. It's, it's exactly the same thing. And I know there was research done where they showed that people, if they showed a picture of you, like that was sort of through artificial intelligence, they, they've aged you in that picture. People that they showed that picture to of themselves started putting away more money towards retirement than people mm -hmm. who didn't have that. So my question is, if we are battling to just think about retirement at 65, how do we go about reimagining, you know, a life where I will live until 100? I mean, there's loads of people that think about that if they make it to 80, it'll be fantastic. They don't even consider that they'll, that they'll mm -hmm. possibly get to 100. So how do we help clients to start to reimagine a life where if you're 50, well, you're only halfway now. I mean, that's fantastic news. Um, but how do we help them? I think a big part of that, she says, is helping them reimagine and thinking about what happens after 55 or 65, whatever that number is. Um, and I think it's having discussions on those multiple chapters of life. Because I think people naturally understand that they're going through different chapters. You know, they've been at school. Um, they study, they might have kids, they're starting a professional career. So naturally, they're used to these chapters, but they're not being challenged on what do the chapters look like after, after the traditional view of retirement. So I think helping them to reimagine retirement, a big part of that is having the, the discussions on how do they see their chapters evolving. And given how they see that, then one can start going back and saying, how do we latch financial objectives to those particular chapters? Because it's very difficult to say, you're going to retire at 65, let's develop a plan for that versus saying, what does it look like? You know, after 65, what are you going to be doing? Okay, I'm going to be traveling for the first five years. Then I might come back, might do a bit of consulting. I might be moving between two properties and then I eventually want to sell one property. Um, 
And yeah, the family's got a bit of health history, so I do see myself maybe later on I need to go to a retirement home. But, but if you start unpacking what that looks like, it's a lot easier to, to then go back because you say the financial numbers, of pe people just don't get to grips with it. Then you can say, fine, understanding your different chapters, what are the financial needs in those chapters, and what is the income flows either that you have or need in those different chapters, and how do we build a balance sheet for it? Um, so, so I think reimagining is about them thinking about what happens after the 55 or 65, whatever their traditional retirement date is. And as we know, that's the big challenge. Most people I chat with don't think enough about what happens after that. So, so by challenging them on that and having discussions on those chapters, you can then bring the financial planning to support those chapters, which, which is a lot easier. So, so how important would it be for someone that, let's just say that they're employed and they, their plan is to stay employed until the normal retirement date or age, whatever. And then after that, they imagine a life where do a bit of traveling, do a bit of consulting, do a bit of this, do a bit of that. How important would it be for someone? Because it would depend on obviously where in the business or the corporate or whatever you worked. But how important would entrepreneurial skills and business management skills be for them to sort of start learning that before the time, because it's quite a different thing, you know, working for a salary, do the job that you do, and yeah. then, you know, you go and consult. And I mean, that, that becomes a business, right? Mm. Um, I, I think you're absolutely spot on front. Of, but I think one also has to differentiate and saying not everybody's entrepreneur, not everybody's going to become an entrepreneur. Um, so one also has to be careful to help people along their skill set, their natural inclinations. You know, so I've got many medical professionals that worked in the corporate or, you know, they worked for someone in their life. They never have been an entrepreneur. To try and push them to now suddenly be an entrepreneur might not be the right thing to do. So it's probably back to the conversation. The more conversation, more important conversation is what are the opportunities they see after 65 and how can they leverage that? And often that might be uh, consulting, acting as a, as a locum, acting, acting as a stand-in which is different to becoming an entrepreneur. There's a smaller set of people that will say they that at 65, they might have already had a side hustle. They might have done a few things. So I think the entrepreneur by 65 would have already developed a few skills um, already and done one or two things on the side. For them, it's probably the opportunity to then say, fine, take that to the next level. But I think one needs to be careful to say, you have to become an entrepreneur after 65. You're quite correct. You know, a consultant is entrepreneur, but it's very different from setting up a franchise and putting all your money into a franchise. Sure. So, so it's what is their natural skill mm -hmm. and where do they see opportunities beyond 65? And once people open their thinking to that, they normally come up with a few ideas um, versus pushing them to now, you know, invest everything into a, a franchise, which might not be their natural, natural skill set. Yeah. And if we think about, I mean, the way we've been planning for retirement or helping clients plan for retirement, there's certain principles that underlie that. Um, but we typically went, you know, possibly, I mean, even, even your planning tools are defaulting to 83 next for a male and 85 yeah. next for a female, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, um, I mean, other principles that we apply, if we want to plan to 100 and beyond, do those principles remain the same? It's only the term that differs or, or are there some additional principles or are some of the principles, you know, have they changed if we want to plan 400 and beyond? Mm. 
I think, I mean, many of the, the tried and tested principles are probably correct. I think the key thing to test is often assumptions and how you look at planning. You know, so so let's just go back to key assumption. If you're retiring at 65, you're living for 20, 30 years, that's long-term. You know, long-term, you need to take appropriate risk versus de-risking. You know, so, so, so the principle of if you're investing for long-term, you need appropriate risk remains right. You need to apply that to a longer time frame of, of thinking at retirement. I think... So, so there's two key issues, but let me maybe just highlight two. The one is you're absolutely right on the planning tools. You know, if you pull out a planning tool, it says to you 81, one or two is now kind of saying into the 90s. But as a premise, when I'm dealing with older clients, I'm saying you have to plan up to 90. You know, the probability of a couple or one of you living into your 90s is 25%. So you have to think about 90. So, so that's very important. If you're dealing with a younger couple, because of the continued increase in longevity, you know, a couple in 40 should plan to 100 because of this continued increase in longevity. So I think you have to challenge those assumptions. The second part where planning tools, most of what I've seen is relatively weak, is accounting for tax appropriately after retirement. You know, so, so most of the planning tools plans for tax before retirement, you know, use your RA contributions, get the maximum tax benefit before retirement. But that creates problems after retirement. So I think we need to think carefully is about the assumptions and appropriate tax planning after retirement. You know, if you have a client with 10 million rand in assets and all of it is from a pension fund, he can get significantly less income than a client with 10 million half pension or half discretionary because of tax. And, and that's the one area maybe where principally, I think we're still thinking inappropriately about planning for tax after retirement. And I tools most of them don't appropriately allow for that one of one or two does but i think in that area we need to challenge principles and assumptions um and just a note i see carol's note on the and i think she's spot on is the younger generation actually get this you know they they kind of live life in different chapters and they might be saving in different ways but they are planning for life very differently to people that grew up in an age where mom and dad retired at 55 and they didn't do anything and that's maybe the, the, the frame of reference is mom and dad. If you're 65 at the moment, your mom and dad retired at 65. They stopped. They didn't do anything. So, so those people increasingly realize or want to do something else where the younger generation are, are, are thinking about it very differently. Yeah. So um, there's also going to be an article in the review of the book in the Blue Chip uh, Digital or Blue Chip Magazine uh, in its next issue, uh, which will now be in August. Is it September? I can't remember, but it's the one that's coming out now. Uh, so you can also read more about the book there. And then obviously, I mean, why not? Where can people get hold of the book? Um, easiest is they can just Google the book, 200 and Beyond, and it comes up most places. If you want to buy it in the shop, it's an exclusive books. If you want to buy it online, the best prices on Take A Lot. But it's basically available in, in many outlets. Um, bookshop, easiest, exclusive, and online, the best price, take a lot. And even Amazon Kindle, I saw. So fantastic. I've had some friends buy it from New Zealand to UK. So I know you can get it pretty much in any place that, yeah. that, that you want to get it. Awesome stuff. Um, and then also, um, if you want to learn more, um, you can obviously connect with Vainant on uh, LinkedIn. And then you can also... Uh, visit the website gminvestments.co.za uh, to learn more about what it is that they do. Uh, and uh, yeah, Vaynant, on that note, thank you very much. Uh, it was a great conversation. Really enjoyed it. And uh, hope to see you somewhere when I'm in Cape Town. Maybe we can have a wine or a coffee. I do do both, so uh, we can chat. <laughs> but <laughs> thank you very much for your time and wishing you well and a fantastic weekend. 
Thanks. Thanks, Francois. Thank you for everybody attending and listening in. Big pleasure. And just like that, again, the end of another episode. This was episode 185. Can you believe it? So thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. And uh, I will see you back next week. Same time, same place. With uh, uh, I'm looking like, yeah, I can't say what's going to happen next week, but uh, I'll let you know definitely. Uh, if you are taking a bit of a long weekend because, uh, you know, Tuesday is Women's Day, so some people are taking off Monday, then enjoy. Be safe. Uh, be blessed and prosper. And remember to continue to raise the bar. Thank you very much and go buy your Propulsion Summit ticket right now. I'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Remember to check out the live show, uh, Propulsion Live, on YouTube every Friday at 7 a.m. South African time. You can find it at www.propulsion.co.za forward slash live. That's propulsion.co.za forward slash live. And please remember to subscribe, share with your colleagues, your friends, and anyone who may find value like you did in this podcast. Once again, thank you very much, and we'll see you in the next episode.